Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. What is happening, peeps? Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan there. Monday, August 29th, the last Monday in the month of August. September's fast approaching. I will tell you what the letter for September is in September. And then I'll tell you what the letter for October is in October. But I'll explain to you why they did certain things to help people understand. Probably for another show, Dan. Carter Worth in the wings will join us in just a few minutes. Carter Worth, of course, of Worth Charting. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. We're powered by not a New York Yankee team, which lost two games in Oakland, which should never happen, but by open exchange. Hi, Dan. Um, Wings. Favorite Wings song, guy. One, two, three, go. Uh, Maybe I'm amazed. Uh, That's Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, You know, Jets. I I will tell you, rock show, Venus and Mars into rock show into Jets is tremendous. Big Paul McCartney fan. Listen, you know, I kid around about the Beatles, but obviously yeah. they, um, you know. Live and let die. All right, let's do this let thing die. here. Let's yeah, let's do this let thing die. here. So, you know what? Like, Powell just couldn't live and let this. Uh-huh. He, he had to let this rally die. You know, there was an article in Barron's over the weekend that said something like, Powell killed the NASDAQ rally or something like that. The Fed. So let's let's talk a little bit about the setup into Jackson Hole. We had been talking about it, it seems like, for weeks, right? And so the Fed does not have a meeting in August. They do have this meeting that starts September 20th, right? And the idea that the market had been rallying since June was that the Fed sooner or later was going to pivot from their hawkish stance. Mm-hmm. Nostradami, you were not in that camp. For 2023 here, you thought actually, as somebody who is a critic of the U.S. Federal Reserve, you thought they're actually doing what they should be doing, didn't you? First time in a long time. Yes, I do. You know, I know you're familiar with the poet uh, passed away, I think, in 2014, Maya Angelou. Yeah. But she said, when somebody shows you who they are, Dan, believe them. And what I've been saying, there's a point to this, by the way. What I've been saying all along is they're trying, they being the Federal Reserve, they are trying to tell you the market just wasn't listening that, you know what? Inflation is number one on our list. We need to do what we need to do to get it back down to our target rate of 2%. And from June 16th until recently, recently being last week, the market chose not to believe them. Well, I guess on Friday, at least, the market did finally believe them, and we'll see what happens going forward. But there's a long path ahead of them, I think. And again, if you believe the mantra, which I do because it's proven to be true um, time after time, don't fight the Fed. And that's true when they're adding liquidity and by fighting them, you're bearish. Well, the same should be true when they're taking it away. If yeah. you're overall bullish, you're fighting the Fed, Dan. 
Yeah, you know, our friend Danny Moses on our podcast, on the tape podcast that love dropped it. Friday morning. I know you love it because you're also an active participant in it. But Danny made a really good point is that people have been saying, OK, maybe the rate increases are going to start to slow. I think the CME Fed funds uh, tracker tool, you know, is suggesting a very strong likelihood now of a 75 basis point hike at that September meeting. But Danny made the point is that QT is just getting started here. and We haven't really seen a whole heck of a lot of it. And once that starts working its way through the economy, that you're going to start to see some of these kind of leading indi- uh, you know, economic indicators really start to slow here. So, Guy, what is your take, though, that if we do see the stock market go back towards the lows? And just real quickly, I mean, let's throw up a five-day chart of the S&P 500. I mean, the market was basically unchanged after Powell spoke guy Friday morning and then just took a dump there. You see that closed on the lows here. They're trying to hold them in here at lower levels. Um, You know, we're kind of unched ish right now. I'm obviously still picking and we'll talk. We'll update a few trade ideas that we've had when Carter comes on here. But thoughts here, because, you know, one really nasty day like that usually is followed up by a little bit more. We're not just going to kind of put a bottom in here and roll right back to the Yeah, and highs. I'd love to hear what Carter has to say. I will tell you that if, you know, if we go positive today, I think, again, there'll be a cascade of people coming in. That was it, you know, bottom, yeah. blah, blah, all this nonsense you've heard time after time. I happen to think that if we go positive today, it's actually probably not a good thing for the market. Obviously, yeah. it's a good thing for today, but I think over, I think what you want, if you're bullish, which everybody tends to be, so I understand that, you want a huge flush out to the downside. Now yeah. you think you saw it on Friday, that wasn't it. What you're looking for is a day where it feels like panic. And again, Friday did not feel at all panic to me. I, I don't know how you felt about it, but it yeah. certainly felt orderly to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Before we hit Carter's charts and get his thoughts, I just wanted to throw a year-to-date S&P chart up here. Um, And when you look Mm -hmm. at this, I mean, like, he drew the lines a couple weeks ago. I just put that 200-day moving average in there. But you show, the you know, the March highs to the August highs. You see the move back to the 50-day moving average, which is just above 4,000. And so I think some, you know, kind of armchair technicians may say, okay, maybe that's all it needed to do. But I think what you and I are really trying to suggest here is that the Fed is literally just starting to chop the wood. Yeah, we had this massive increase in Fed funds and subsequently the 10-year and the two-year and just yields in general higher in such a short period of time. And I just want to like mention one comment here from David Rosenberg in his morning note at Rosenberg Research. Guy, he said on the economy, much like the stock market, flat is the new up and a stagnant economy is no reason to be loading up on risk right now. And I think that's the key point. Not only is it stagnant, we are likely to see some of this economic data get worse before it gets better. And I also think with the dollar doing what it is, we're going to see corporate earnings doing worse before they get better too. Dollar's unbelievable. Carter had a tremendous call in the dollar thinking that in the short term, it was going to pull back, which is exactly what happened in the context of a dollar that's probably going to be higher by the end of the summer. And that's how it's absolutely played out. So the dollar to me continues to grind higher. And the dollar is just basically a reflection that finally people are starting to come around to the fact that this Fed is going to do what's necessary. In terms of what Rosie said, you know, I'll paraphrase, but I'll give my own spin. I think sometimes people confuse the market going higher with things are better now. The companies have fixed themselves and the environment is better. The only thing that changed since the middle of June, and we've pointed this out a number of times, is the stock market went higher, but the underlying problems around that did not get better. As a matter of fact, Dan, 
and I think you just sort of alluded to it, things have gotten worse. Now, people will say, well, if things are getting worse, that's great because that means the Fed has to pivot. Wrong, because <laughs> although things are getting worse, the inflation component of this has not really gotten all that better. Yes, it's gone down on the margins, but again, the move from nine one to eight and a half, and subsequently maybe who knows a seven handle. Yeah, that's nice and interesting. Yeah, you know that move from seven to five is going to take time, and I will tell you that move from five to the perceived level that they want that two percent is going to take a long time. So you know, so it's it's like that poet I mentioned Frost last week. You know, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep. And his promises are fighting inflation and miles to go, Dan, before I sleep. And that means he's got a lot of work to be done. It's amazing how I can bring Robert Frost into this equation, but somehow I managed to do it eloquently. You're a poet and you didn't even know it. All right, let's bring in the man, the myth, the legend, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. Nothing slick, just charts. What's up, Carter Braxtonworth? How are you, man? We're going to hear you someday. It's amazing. It it really is amazing. The man's been with the network for 17. He's been with CNBC (laughs) as long as I've been with him. Maybe longer. I've known Carter, I want to say since, you know, 06, 07. You would think by now that mute button that is just right, you know, the little flat. You think, but hey. I hear you. (laughs) So, yes, another Monday, a chance to make a fortune or else hang oneself. As we know, that's the beauty of this. Uh, it's the greatest. So you, some people like dice, some people like horse, some people like cards. But the biggest one of all is this one. Oh, yeah. Well, Carter, you you heard um, guys say that he thought Friday didn't feel panicked. What was your sense? And I think it's interesting for our listeners and our viewers to get a sense for, you know, not only are you just a pretty face on the TV, you know, kind of speaking about charts, but you not only talk to a lot of retail that you're um, worth charting, you know, newsletter goes out to, you also talk to a lot of big institutions, right, who use technicals as important inputs um, to their investment and trading decisions. Talk to a little bit about how some of your clients are thinking about it. How, not not obviously specifically, but sure. how they were positioned into this very well anticipated, you know, Fed speech and 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 what we saw on Friday and whether you thought Friday was a bit of a panic. So I, let me just say this: I think that despite uh, what we might think, right, it's still at the end of the day whether it's a twenty billion dollar mutual fund or. An, $8 billion long short hedge fund or just a family office with $1 billion. These are still men and women who, as is the case with each and every one of us, are making best efforts and applying all their talents and all their skills to try to get it right. But for, as they say in a jury, you know, when a lawyer, one lawyer wins and one lawyer loses, right? And yet they were both lawyers arguing a case. You have every day analysts who both like and don't like, buyers and sellers on the buy side. And so... Um, the people I talk to, and, and, and you're, you're right to bring that up in the sense that, you know, we do uh, interact with uh, on a professional basis. I have an economic relationship with, you know, 10 of the 20 largest mutual fund companies in the world, 10 of the largest hedge funds, and so forth and so on. And their um, thinking is really all over, the, all over the place, just as it is at the individual level. A lot of people are in the camp that... We've had our bear market, and you could say, hey, why can't that be? The NASDAQ down 35%, S&P down 25%. That the earnings did come through, and they did. That interest rates are basically still controlled. We're only at 3%, it's not 5 And that we're going to have some sort of Goldilocks, or at least be able to maintain um, 
uh, prices at these levels and not go a lot lower. And then there's plenty of people on the other side, and, and this is what makes the market who say, this is just the beginning. That basically the excess is associated with COVID, uh, excesses that are still being seen, not about your politics, whether forgiving student loans or not, that, that, that so much is, quote, wrong with the system, or at least sort of odd or, or irregular, that equities as an asset class, by definition, are not a good place to be. It's interesting, Carter, you said, you know, use all your powers, which immediately when I hear the word power, when in that context, I immediately think of the great Marlon Brando talking to Bonacera, the undertaker, to help him basically yes. repair his son, Sonny, because look how they massacred my boy. I'm sorry about that. I just had to sort of get that out there. That's what I do. But I'll ask you this question. Does the move that you predicted, and I'm choosing to use that word, in the S&P from that move, you know, to the to the 43 and change level to where we are now, does it resolve itself with something like Friday again to sort of um, amplify what Dan asked you? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't Friday. Well, let me say it this way. So holding aside Friday, which we'll get to last week was status quo. So what do we know? We know that every sector was down as it was the week before, except energy. And energy was up again last week as it was the prior week. We know that tech underperformed the S&P, happened the prior week, and that the S&P underperformed small cap, happened the week prior too. And that rates actually didn't go anywhere. The 10-year yield really went from like 2.97 to 3.05. So in many ways, it was all on Friday. Friday was the day, and yet on the week, because one day doesn't really matter, not much change from the prior week. And I think what we do know is that after an epic sell-off, let's just look at the trajectory. Jan 4 high to June 16 low, 25% in the S&P, an equally epic ricochet up some 20%, and now a give back. We're kind of, look at this chart, we're kind of sitting in no man's land. Mm -hmm. uh, do, you, do you bet that it really goes a lot lower here? It's a reasonable bet, but... What if it starts to stabilize? Look at today, intraday, it's reversing. Do we bet that it's really going to ricochet here and we're going to take out that trend line? I mean, sometimes actually, you're kind of at a spot where you maybe make no directional bet. Maybe you put on strangles or maybe you sell yeah. volatility. Well, so Carter, so that S&P chart again, you know, two weeks ago, you you led with that. And you just said, listen, you, 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 you used your line to the penny there and mm -hmm. it did get rejected there. And, you know, I know that you used the 150 day moving average, but it was literally to the penny of the 200 day moving average, which obviously a lot of people look at too. So a huge factor in prior periods had been yields, right? As it relates to the direction of the S&P 500. Last week, I think it was on Thursday, you put out a note talking about the direction of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. We haven't highlighted, but we were actually talking about it the similar fashion on Wednesday, Guy has been, you know, steadfast in the belief that the short end is going to continue to stay bid for all the reasons that the Fed is doing and that the 10 year, if it were to go come in, it's not actually reflective of what the Fed's doing. It might be more reflective of growth. Talk to us a little bit about the 10 year. Here's your chart. I'll let you speak sure. to it because to me, it looks like a pretty simple setup here. Yes. Yeah, so to your point, look, the Fed has no control over the back end. That's used to refer to them as a bond vigilantes and that the market is bigger than the Fed at the end mm -hmm. of the day. And we've seen this over and over. Um, and so what they're doing at the short end, if they're successful and they continue, you're seeing that here at the long in the sense that yields are not rising because what they're doing is they're putting on the brakes. And so that it would make sense that long dated money 
wouldn't actually be going higher, and it isn't. Again, with that kind of news on Friday to have no movement in yields, it tells the tale. And so I think yields have basically been topping, are topping. You can see that uh, annotated chart there. And my hunch is that it's right to buy TLT or to buy bonds. Yeah, that's exactly right. What I was going to say was if you're playing our home game, TLT is the way to play this on the long side, obviously inverse to what yields are doing. And I'm sort of with Carter on this one. But again, I'll just sort of amplify that answer. If 10-year yields do go lower in this environment, it's not because magically you know, the Fed's got your back. It means because growth is slowing in a precipitous way. But guess what's going to happen? That two-year yield is not going to have a commensurate move. And that yield curve is going to continue to widen out. Now, this environment, you might see people actually think they can buy technology on the back of it. Yeah, maybe that's true with lower yields. Maybe it's that simple. But I'll tell you something. Everything else out there, I think, sort of um, gets beat up. So that, to me, you know, that environment, Dan, you know, that yep. outcome is not particularly bullish, I don't yeah, think. No, and I think what you're speaking to is clearly a stagflationary environment. You can go into whatever sort of rabbit hole you want on the zero hedge or anything like that, and you're going to read a whole heck of a lot about what stagflation means for risk assets in general. And listen, we've been talking about this for a very long time, so maybe we're on the right side of this trade. All right, another one that, Carter, you were on the right side of, and I think this is an important one to update because it's the largest equity in the market. Mm. It was Apple's. So this was, I think, also about two weeks ago, right in and around the time, Carter, that you were saying to sell the S&P 500. You were also saying to sell um, the largest component of the S&P 500. I think at the time it was basically 7.5% of the S&P 500, which is an index of how many stocks, Guy? Well, if it's S&P 500, it's probably, you know, I don't know, probably like more than somewhere between yeah. 400 and like five. Well, five, it was about it was about it's it's exactly 500. Oh. And then on the flip oh. side, the Apple was also 13 and a half percent of the Nasdaq 100, which is I'll just spare you this one. That is an index of 100 stocks. OK, guy. So, Carter, the Apple and I said it that day and I did an options trade predicated on your chart. I was looking for a reason and it was your chart from worth charting that did it. So give us a little bit of an update, because I think it was like the 17th or the 16th of the month. The stock had made an intraday high that placed it 35 percent higher than it's mid-June low, and at the lows today, down about 9% from those levels. I bought September 16th expiration, 170 strike puts. I sold out of them this morning. They were trading about 10 bucks when the stock was 160, but I did buy some weeklies. And now I will just tell you guys this. This is like trading weekly options directionally it's kind of a widow maker here mm. but i was using a percentage of my gains from the longer dated september one rolling a bit of the profits into playing for a move below 60 carter help me with this one what are the chart what is your yeah. chart saying <laughs> and will i see a break of 160 meaningfully this week so i could profit from these puts Yes, and, and just to make a point, obviously timing is so hard, and yeah. indeed, what do you do once something is working, but you but with options, of course, you've got all of the risks associated with the decay. This is a very hard moment in the sense that up 35% off the low versus the market you know, up 18, right to or close to a former high and faltering is a great setup and breaking trend. But now all those things have happened. They're in the rearview mirror, and it's much harder here. Do we really stick with the short? 
Should we take some money off and then let some ride? Uh, someone else could make the point, it wouldn't be a bad one, that you could sell a put credit spread below the market and hope for a bit of backing and filling in some decay here. It's a tough moment now. I don't know if I have the answer. I think there was a very a clear moment in time to try to fade Apple. And right here and now, it's pretty close to a pair of twos. What about that gap, Carter? So There, there is that, that gap. There is that earnings gap from, I think it's the last month or the last day of July-ish. Um, and so it gapped above 160. Um, so will you know, it's kind of interesting that it literally stopped to that gap level, but you have that gap down to, I don't know, 155 or 157 mm -hmm. or so. Um, Guy, you were saying last week, 150, that was your target when I told yep. you I put that trade on. But again, to Carter's point, the timing is really hard and people doing it with weekly options. I only mention it because I'm talking about how I manage the trade. It's a really hard way to make money, Guy. Yeah, no question. But 150 makes sense for a myriad of different reasons. It's effectively the 50% retracement of that recent low we made in the middle of June. And then that ridiculous high we made basically to the day that Carter said, sell it. And I remember being on Fast Money that night, Dan, on my phone talking about, you know, I was I was busy putting on hedging strategies. Yes, you were. Because Carter scared the you-know-what out of me. But you know what? As usual, he proves to be right. But you know what else he's been? I mean, this has been artistic, actually, in what he's done. Not the artistic with an R in case you're listening on your radio. Look at what he's done in Bitcoin, because I got to tell you something. He called the move down to about 15,000. I think he got to 17.5 on a Saturday. Subsequent bounce, sold off again. But Carter Worth, I think you think this thing might bounce here again. We're going to stay in this channel that we've been in since June. Yeah, I mean, look, the beauty of lines is they are subjective, just as it is in the eye of the practitioner. And it seems to me, and I will say this, that those are actually mathematically parallel. I didn't put one on and then draw the second one. I, I connected those two lows, and then I literally copy and pasted that line so it was identical. And you start to see a bit of a, a pattern. It's a, slight, uh, it's a slight channel. It's an ascending channel. And we've come down so quickly... We almost got to 25,000, 24 and change, that I think you'll get a bounce here. Hence the green arrow, of course. That's the judgment part, the arrow. Someone else would draw a red arrow that's going to break below. Um, like anything, if and as it's working, stick with it. And if and as it starts to be wrong, and we all know that so many investments or speculative uh, ventures can go wrong, take measures. Get the hell out. Well, Guy, you were brought up in the what can go wrong will mm -hmm. go wrong. You know, like we know yeah. that from your early days in the markets here. And it's funny, it seems like the narrative on a couple of occasions this year in crypto in general has just kind of come off the, you know, kind of the rails a little bit here. And I do know that a lot of traders, you know, in this space look at the charts and they focus on them a little bit. You know, if you were to pull up Ethereum, which we don't have right now, but like, again, that was trading at 2000 in June, made an intraday low near 900, got back to 2000 last week, and here we are at 1500. I mean, like those ranges, you know, if you want to trade them and you want to use spot, uh, you know, stops and in the, in, in the like, and there are futures, they trade on the CME um, for both of these things. I mean, these are really tradable instruments right now. 
now. But, you know, I would say Ethereum seems to be in the middle of the range where I think the way that Carter's laid out the Bitcoin with sentiment so badly, um, mm-hmm. it probably makes more sense playing for a bounce off that uptrend than pre- playing for a break of it. Yeah. You wonder how long the bounce will last. I mean, to me, a bounce in Bitcoin suggests that, you know, again, maybe people got too much to one side of the boat, number one, yeah. and or... Maybe there's some people out there that doesn't think the Fed's going to follow through on a lot of this hawkish rhetoric. Because to me, and I've said this dozens of times on Market Call Fast Money, you know, if you to the bit moving Bitcoin almost to the penny, uh, HT and Carter coincides with what the Fed's doing. And when people believe the Fed's hawkish back in November because they said it, that's when it collapsed. People thought they were going to pivot a while back. That's when it rallied up to the aforementioned twenty-five. So. If you see a bounce here in Bitcoin, maybe it's suggestive of that. I will yeah. say, Dan, just to sort of um, amplify your statement, yes, I was born in that Wall Street. What can go wrong will go wrong, absolutely, which is why I'm predisposed to that. And, you know, hope for the best, but yeah. prepare for the worst. So quick, uh, just quick, so you know. Yeah, no, I know that. Um, hey, quick one, though, here, Carter, because I want to be really clear on this. Last week, you know, we threw up a Bitcoin chart. It was probably a five-year, and it was showing just how – precarious though this kind of 20,000 level is and my thought is that it acts really heavy you know if it can't get going here that we likely break so again I just said uh, two minutes ago looking at your chart looking at the different time frame and so just speak to me a little bit about that because how traders minds can get tricked by time frame so my point is looking at your shorter time frame it should try to bounce here but the guy's point if it can't really get going you want to keep you want to use a tight stop on this thing because if you back it out this thing is kind of holding on for dear life right there is that a fair assessment Right. So obviously all investing is knowing who one is in the market, what your time frame is and what your price objective is. What are you playing for? And yeah. so there are short term trades. And of course, to your point, uh, there are long term epic bull and bear moves. Uh, Bitcoin's been on epic bull move and now it's in an epic bear phase and little zigs and zags like this don't change uh, the fact that it's had a real beating and there is always the downside risk. In terms of that actual trend line drawn on those two parallel lines, you make the point, as discussed when they were up there, what I was saying is that, look, if and as it's wrong, you know, you, you get the heck out. But the really, the really talented player, it's hard to do, is to have a frictionless mind, is to be able to flip it around and go short. That's very hard. We're like, wait a minute, I was just long this thing. And I want to not only abandon that judgment, which is to say fess up or to cope with being wrong, but then have such a friction mind that I'll go and go after it the other way. It's what the champions do. So if you can try to have a frictionless mind, forget the fact that one just bought it and then go after the other way. And the reason why that works, let's just we can spend two more seconds on this, is that a lot of people can't do that because of the situation they're in. Consider this. You're a registered representative. You're working for a mainline brokerage firm, a bulge firm, and you've recommended a stock to a client and that client has committed capital to it or Bitcoin or whatever. You can't call him up two days later and say, you know what, I think I was wrong. We got to get out. Mm-hmm. The guy says, what are you talking about? I mean, he's just there. He's a doctor, right? He's like, what are you talking about? Get out. You just told me to get in it. And so that broker, that advisor, he's trapped. He can't be frictionless. Even as it starts to go against him, he can't say, that, no, but I'm wrong. I think we should not only get out and abandon it, take a loss, but we should short the thing. The guy says, what are you trying to turn my account? I'll call your manager. The point is, there's so many people who are burdened in this business because of their role. If you can just do it purely, have a frictionless mind. When you're wrong, get out and actually try to flip it around. 
Reminds me of that scene in the movie Wall Street when Blue Star was rocketing higher. and the, We got to take the money and run in BST, if you recall, Dan. I know you do, Carter. You might as well. You would have been a great character in the movie Wall Street. But you know what? You're a great character here. The road is long with many a winding turn for you Holly fans, and Carter will continue to navigate those turns. Uh, take a look at Carter Worth on the Twitter. You all follow him already, but check out worthcharting.com. I love this. What is it, Dan? Like no gimmicks, just straight facts or something? Something yeah, like that. Right? He, they ain't slick, right? What, what is it? What is it? it? Is, well, it is very straightforward charting. <laughs> and uh, it, like anything, it has its error rate. But, you know, you stick to the rules and you'll be fine over time. I love right. Carter Worth. Carter, we will see you on Wednesday. It's always Mondays are a rough day, but they're always better having you in them with us here. So thank, thank you, you CB Dubs. Thanks, Carson. Um, you know, I don't know what Best Buy. Look, I know what Best Buy is. It's a retailer. I get yeah. it. I've been there. Yeah. I've bought television sets from there. Of course but, you have. You know, tomorrow they report. I think it's tomorrow they report earnings. And quite frankly, I have no idea if these earnings mean anything or not in this environment. But yeah. You know what? We figured we'd talk about it because it gets us into a bit of a retail conversation, Dan. No doubt. You know, Melissa Lee, the host of Fast Money, a program that you've done for, what, 27 years or so, she used to call this, I think it was kind of funny, like five years ago, she would call it the showroom for Amazon. So, like, you know, people, you would actually go in and you'd look at it, you'd kick the TVs and and then you go buy one. But a lot of people used to go in, they used to look at them, right? They look at them up on the wall and they look at the picture and then they go buy it on Amazon, right? Which is uncool, by the way. And I've told her, that you know that's just not she goes in with her like legal pad takes notes and walk it's just you know that's not what we do but that's listen and i'll have her on and i'll say it to her i've said it to her face anyway please continue well it's funny you know we have a chart here it's like a since the start of 2020 here and you know like so many other stocks guy late last year that unnatural move where the stock went from just above mm. 100 to like one above 140 had an intraday move. Look at that, like that. And then that gap on earnings. And it's really never looked back here. The implied move in the options market is about $6 in either direction. What? A little more than 8, 8% or so. And you see this stock, you know, that's trading the way it's doing down 25% on the year. And we got to think a little bit about what did we hear from Walmart and Target? We said that, you know, Walmart. Walmart said that they're seeing a higher end consumer trade down to them. Target said that the consumer is changing their buying habits. They were buying during the pandemic, much bigger purchases, higher margin things in their trading down. So food inflation and gas inflation is taking up a percentage of the cart here. I just can't see a whole heck of a lot of good news, guy. I mean, maybe you tell me, maybe they're going to have something good to say about back to school. You know, they have big Apple stores within the store. They have um, obviously the holiday season that's going to come up in in a couple of months. But you've been you've been all over this. The savings rate is ticking down right now, right as you know financial conditions have really kind of just gotten a lot tighter and credits harder to come by and a lot more expensive. That's the bull case you just outlined. The bear case is you know what people will make do with what they have because to your point. Um, the savings rate is at levels we haven't seen in probably decades. And consumer credit card debt is now north of a trillion dollars. And again, yeah. I don't know if Best Buy is an earnings story or not, but I will tell you if it were an earnings story, this stock would be significantly lower because it's basically been a very challenged business now for the last six or seven years. The stock, obviously, over the course of that time has told a different story. But don't under listen, don't confuse the fundamentals with what's going on with the stock like yeah. AMC, 
like GameStop. We should quickly take a look at a couple other retailers. Yeah, but I just want to make, do. Guy, just real quickly, one point on that, because I thought you were going to go there, is that, you know, the valuation, this is a cheap retailer, right? Trading about 11 times or so. But the point is, is that revenues are supposed to be down 10% this year with earnings down about 35%. So in mm-hmm. some ways, you'd say, well, 11 PE versus some of its peers seems pretty reasonable. Well, not with that expected decline in earnings and sales. Right. So maybe that's why it's going. But Guy, I threw in the Amazon chart in here because I wanted to get your take because it had that big gap. It looked like after a few quarters of just real nastiness dealing with some of just the over, I don't know, extension as it relates to logistics and all the spending that they've had, you know, like really kind of uh, expanding that digital footprint since the pandemic. (laughs) You have that gap lower. You have that gap higher. It's trying to fill in both of them right here. But it is astounding. Off of that 100 level early in the summer, that stock, one of the fourth or fifth largest stocks in the entire market, had a 45% rally off those Unbelievable. recent lows. Yeah. I mean, a, a mind-numbing move to the upside. And then, obviously, we start to do the back and fill, as they say, and it starts to do the grind. I mean, we don't have a longer-term chart, so I won't bore you when we're up against the clock. But you, know, you go back a few years now, Amazon on what has been until the last couple of days has been on a great tape, has been sort of a a stock that really hasn't done all that much. And I think people refuse to acknowledge that or just see it. Um, So it's just something to keep in mind. Listen, I think you're going to continue. You you will see rallies of that magnitude again. The question is from what level, and I think that level is lower, Dan. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm kind of kicking myself because I'm sure I said it on market call, you know, back in May and June when some of these stocks that were down 50, 60, 70 percent, you know, I really Amazon was on my short list. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to kind of see it hold 100. It did hold 100. I never bought it. I should have. And I'm not sure, guy, it gets back there, to be very frank with you. Even if we go into a period where the consumer is strained, that sort of thing, some of the investments they made, some of the things that were weighing on their earnings and their margins are the sorts of things that they might get leverage from in a protracted, let's call it recession or a bear market. So to me, that was just that. All right. Lastly, I mentioned Target. Give me your 411 on this one because this is a weird chart. Okay. You see that line that I drew and I know you hate that term weird, but look where it got rejected a few weeks ago to the penny. Okay. Of that, like that low, right. That we see right in the middle of that huge gap from a few months ago, Thoughts on Target? Because I know that you like this one or you have liked this one, especially when you saw that sort of gap. What was that, 35% mm-hmm. gap? You thought that there's really good valuation support at the lows. Yeah, valuation is, listen, it's a lot cheaper than Walmart. That's yep. been the story now for years. So valuation is reasonable. The problem is um, they've screwed it up so badly, and I'm choosing to use that term yeah. in terms of inventory. And you, you're going to say other people have as well. Okay, that's great. But you know, we're talking about Target now. It takes a long time to dig out from that hole. And if back to school is in line or disappointing, and they banked a lot on that, look out below. So yeah, although it looks great on valuation, you think there's this gap on the upside. I, I still think, and, and maybe I'll prove it to be incorrect, there's a leg lower here in some of these big box retailers, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I would just say with the target, to your point, I mean, if it was a move back towards those recent lows, that's about 10%. It's also a gap fill from late 2020. So again, why do we spend so much time on market call talking about charts? We're trying to line them up with valuation levels. Mm-hmm. We're trying to think back to periods where the sentiment around the story was such, right, that kind of made for the case. And so 
to me, you know, I, I've always done it this way. I use multiple inputs when I'm evaluating a story, a trade idea, an investment, that sort of thing. So again, hopefully that's helpful. I might look to add to, as long as it wasn't a disaster, you know, build a position down 10, 12% near those recent lows at 140. And again, I would think the market would be in a really bad place if we saw Amazon back near 100 or massive mis-execution by the company after what looked like a better quarter when they reported a few weeks ago. Which has happened to a number of them. Your hair looks yeah. fantastic, by the way. Thank I'm you, apologizing that we went over, but look, there's a lot to go, there's a lot to talk about today. So cool your jets, as they <laughs> used to say. Okay. I don't know who says we that. We hold on. We started with jet and now you just uh, ended with jet. So cool your jets. It was remember jet do 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 do. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why you're a fan of music yeah. and not a participant. Correct. But that's it for today's market call. I want to thank Carter Worth for joining us. He'll be back on Wednesday. I want to thank to our sponsor, uh, FactSet. I want to thanks to Open Exchange for powering us. Uh, we're coming to the end of the month. And let me tell you something. You're going to love my stories about September and October and the associated letters. We'll probably talk about those tomorrow, Dan, if I'm not mistaken. But when we do, um, just be ready. Have your notebook like Melissa Lee does at Best Buy. 5,000. All right. See you. <laughs>